Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. Good morning. It's so good to see you. Hello, last time I was up here, I was inviting you to come feel your deficits at our two-day intensive. Do you remember that? And uh, it went so well. Thank you for those of you that came. Uh, we're so grateful for Bethel Atlanta in this season. Just, uh, we, we feel the strength and support of our family and of Jesus on our backs as Justin and I have just been launching into new things. She got up a shake, it'd be sure, got up a she. So it's a comfort to me to continue to bring you, our family, along the journey. And uh, we are launching a, um, uh, an aisle program in June. We have one going right now, and we basically created a, a leadership development program, right, uh, that is all about the heart of the kingdom touching how we do leadership. So we keep the groups to 10 people. We have one group going right now uh, that is just taking our breath away. It's so beautiful. So, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the kingdom is it's within us. And Jesus said, um, you know, the kingdom isn't out there. It's not over here. It is within you. It's within you. And he paid an extraordinary price that the least in the kingdom of heaven would be greater than John the Baptist. Because now the kingdom, the presence is on the inside of you. So uh, we're on a mission that every born again believer would feel the weight of what it means to be the temple of the living God. So um, you can check out what we're up to on our website, justinandjenstockman.com. And we just love you being with us. We're gonna look at Jesus today. We're gonna behold him. And uh, in Revelation, the end of the story is so encouraging. Sometimes you got to go to the end to find out what's happening right now. <laughs> the end is, is the great aligner to bring perspective on the hour in human history that we have been trusted with today. And listen to what John said. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Uh, 
Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forever. And I have the keys of death and hell. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those uh, that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Those are red letters. And the entire Bible is significant. The red letters, they're the best. The red letters uh, are what shape who we are. And, you know, Jesus said while he was on the earth, don't store up for yourself treasure in heaven. I mean, on the earth. Don't store up for yourself treasure on the earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven and let your eye be single because when your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Your entire body will illuminate. And so, you know, as we're just taking a moment to see what Jesus looks like, we are letting our eye be single. That, you know, this morning what we were doing in worship is in heaven, uh, Jesus is absolute victory, that no one in heaven is struggling to believe he is who he says he is. No one in heaven is processing disappointment. No one in heaven is battling out scarcity or poverty or lack of any kind. Everyone in heaven is overwhelmed by this king who has fire coming out of his eyes in absolute sufficiency. And Jesus said, store up treasure there. What he's saying is, let me be your treasure. In heaven, everyone is treasuring Jesus. Everyone is captivated by what he has won. No one 
is struggling to believe him. Everyone has absolute confidence that he wins at the end of the day. And what I like to practice is, I like to practice ascending there. And, and everything Jesus purchased for us to be seated in heavenly places. And I just love to imagine the chatter of the fathers and mothers of faith that have gone before us. I just like to imagine just sitting in the echo of their song. And from that place, I like just to imagine I'm 10,000 years in because one day is like a thousand. Anybody been in that season? <laughs> you got to take advantage of it and ascend into heaven where everyone is saying, you've only been faithful. You've only been true. In my lineage, you've only kept your word. Thank you. Thank you. You've only been kind. You've only been perfect victory. By your stripes, we've only known healing. Heaven is, is revenge on the devil. And you don't have to wait until your days on earth are over to live in your inheritance. That today we have access to lay our crowns with the elders who only know the truth of who Jesus is. They only know the devil is a liar. And Jesus wins every time. And so this, this vision of Jesus that John has is Jesus in his absolute victory. You know, one time, one day I was, I was wrestling just believing a promise from Jesus that was bigger than me. All of them are. <laughs> and... I heard the Holy Spirit in that verse in 1 Corinthians welled up in my heart and he said, I have searched the heart of the Father. I am the spirit of the Father. I have searched him through and through and I have never for one moment doubted him. I know him through and through, and I have never doubted the Father. This is the reality everyone in heaven is living in. Nobody is struggling to believe that what God is, has said is true. It's absolute, joyful confidence. It's true. And, you know, in this place... Jesus gives a message to his church. And we're just going to look at the first 
star he's holding in his hand. And he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the, the seven golden lampstands. These are my words. Do you see how many stars I can hold in one hand? And he says in uh, chapter two, verse two, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That's all very encouraging. And then in verse four, it says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So Jesus is saying, I've seen all these works that you're doing. Patient endurance. I mean, James calls us to patient endurance. All these beautiful attributes. I see that you've not grown weary in doing good. And, and then he says, but you've abandoned your first love. Return to the works you did at first. So there's obviously a difference between the works he's seeing them do right now and the works that they did at first. And, you know, I just want to explore together for a minute, what, what does this mean when Jesus is charging us to return to our first love? And, you know, biblically, this is not my opinion. Um, first love is in 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you skip down to verse 19, the, a verse we all love and cherish, we love because he first loved us. So first love, returning to first love, is returning to the love that has nothing to do with you. First love, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. While you could contribute zero, he loved you. He chose you. He wanted you. And returning to first love is returning to the Father's love. And, you know, Jesus is our highest, most pure model for what living in first love looks like. Jesus is the standard always. And, you know, in, in John 14, 
really one of my favorite passages in all the Bible I return to regularly. He's talking to us about the way to the Father and the way to this love. And he's, he's about to go and he's telling his disciples, I'm leaving and you can't come with me, but you know the way to where I'm going. They say we don't. <laughs> and he says, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to this love except through me. That the, the road to our first love is Jesus. The blood of Jesus the mercy of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. And, um, he, he, you know, Jesus says, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. And have I been with you so long and you still don't know the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father that dwells in me is, is uh, doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Whoever believes in me also will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So what are the works he's looking for in Revelation? He's looking for the works that only the Father can do through us. He's looking for the works that he's saying, as he was walking on the earth doing extraordinary miracles, it was not him doing the works, it was the Father working through him. Even his words were not his own. It was the Father speaking through him. That doing the works we did at first are the works that we cannot do apart from the price Jesus has paid for us to live in love. True integrity in the kingdom is how I am known in heaven by the Father is who I am on the earth. How the love of the Father views me. What the Father has to say about me is how I see and think about myself on the earth. So your, you know, your actions matter, but why you're doing what you're doing is where the kingdom is. So just choosing to not lie or cheat or steal, integrity is a part of that, but even people that don't have Jesus can have that kind of integrity. 
And, you know, James said, uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. And true double-mindedness is I'm, I'm known one way in heaven and I live a different way on the earth. And, you know, when you look down at the end of this passage, Jesus says, uh, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. That no claim on me means the devil has no power over me. He had absolute purity on the inside of him. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Another translation says, I am doing exactly what I was destined to do. Absolute confidence. I know the assignment the Father has given me to accomplish. And we see it all throughout the Gospels. I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. And he's saying with absolute confidence, I am doing everything that the Father has destined me to do so that the world will know that I love him. That Jesus was motivated by love. That at the bottom of his motivation was, I want the world to know that I love the Father. And, you know, so much of what happens on the earth, the systems of the earth, has to do with power struggles in, you know, the enemy creating systems of power. And, you know, when Jesus was first tempted, the devil said, hey, if you just worship me, um, I'll give you all this authority and all this power that I have. And Jesus said, you know, get away from me. The Bible says, worship the Lord your God only. And he, he did not engage on the earth in any way to get something from the earth. He, he, he did not need power, validation. Uh, he did not need anything on the earth to fuel his mission, to fuel what he was doing and why he was doing it. This is the power of first love. That I am so full of the love of the one who first loved me that I need nothing from the power struggles that are happening on the earth. And, you know, the earth's structure of power is like, Healthy leadership means I share my power with you. But the very 
nature of that is not the kingdom because it's saying I'm more powerful than you and I determine how much power you get to walk in. And what Jesus was modeling was I'm paying an extraordinary price not to give you my power, but to give you the source of my power, the Father. That you would no longer need a mediator to walk in power. That you would no longer need a mediator to access the Father flowing through you. I am laying down my life that you can have direct access. It's better that I go because if I go, greater works will flow through you because of your personal connection to the Father. And in the kingdom, healthy leadership looks like light. It looks like being a city on a hill. And any room we walk into, when our eye is single, Jesus said, your whole body will be full of light. You illuminate whatever room you walk into. And so in the kingdom, light doesn't make you something you're not already. You don't become more awesome because you're connected to someone more awesome on the earth. What light does in the kingdom is it illuminates who you already are. That we come and we sit beside humanity and we light up what's already on the inside of you. We light up, you know, uh, the broken places. We light up the strong places. We, we don't uh, choose what gets illuminated when the light switch comes on. It all becomes visible. And what we, the healing we experience when the lights come on and we find out Jesus sees and has made provision for everything that I need on the inside of me, healing takes place, freedom takes place. Because what happened when shame entered the world was the lights went out. The lights went out. And it disconnected us from the source of light. We hid from ourselves, we hid from God, we hid from the people around us. And Jesus came as the light of the world to illuminate everything. And this is, this is how we light up cities, is by being present. By our eye being single. My eye is on Jesus, so my whole body is full of light. There's nothing to hide. And you know, the, the beauty of what Jesus is saying here is, I didn't come to inappropriately take from the world around me 
that I was destined to serve. I came from the fullness of the Father's love. That everything about our design was created to house love. That we were created in the image of a God who is love. And when sin entered the world, it twisted up our design. It, it, you know, sin is a violation of love. And when Jesus came into our story, he came looking for every place that love has been violated. Every place where our capacity to be the beloved, to be loved, was crushed. And, you know, this is, this is why, you know, Jesus said, I have come to give them life and life more abundantly. Because everything that is healthy and full is where the kingdom is. That it's all coming from a place of overflow. Overflow. The, the worst time to go to the grocery store is when you're hungry. Because when we are in lack, the decisions we make are wildly different than when we are full. And Jesus was saying, I'm on a mission and it's an expression of love. I'm on a mission and it's for the Father. It's an overflow for the Father. And this is, this is what it means to be a priest. He is our great high priest. This, this is what it means to be a living sacrifice. That everything in our life, every assignment we're, we're currently living in, however grandiose or however mediocre, we turn it into an altar. We, we turn it into a sacrifice of love a fragrant offering, night and day, day and night, incense arising. And, you know, our awareness of the altar is our role as priests. That in this season, the highest priority for each of us you know, Peter said, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. That the highest priority of a priest is tending to the altar. And in the things you're called to do on the earth, how aware am I of the one that I'm doing it for? that it's become an offering. And you know, we're, 
we, are, we all have different anointings to do different things on the earth. Some of us wash a lot of dishes right now. We hand out a lot of snacks. Some of us are working with numbers. And some of us love our assignment right now, and some of us dread our assignments right now. And what you're doing is not as important as why you do it. As a priest, you turn it into an altar. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. It takes time, it takes practice in the priesthood. The first time I preached the gospel, it had nothing to do with Jesus. I was so stressed out, I could barely talk. I had no idea where he was. And I said, I will absolutely never do that again. Because it was all about me. I couldn't see the altar. And I started going down to uh, the river. And I would imagine all of you. And I started practicing being aware of Jesus in the room full of his people. And I started just preaching to the air. <laughs> and I would preach the gospel with Jesus as the main event. And I had to hone my skill. I'm still honing my skill, especially when you're so quiet. And I have to keep routing back to, I'm a priest tending to a fire. I'm a priest. And true humility is found in our capacity to receive. True humility is internal. Because Jesus is the ultimate expression of humility on the earth. Because he took the most exalted seat and he, he climbed into the boundaries of humanity. And he was a disruptor. And so when we think humility is a trait that is visible, we will pen people as arrogant who are being Christ-like. Um, because some, you know, we, we can pin people who are disrupting power systems that need to be disrupted as arrogant, but celebrate people who've become invisible. And will often feel more comfortable being the lamb than being the lion. And this is why everything in the kingdom is invisible. Your motive is where holiness is. 
your motive is where Christ-likeness is. Because you can flip a table in the spirit of Jesus. You can confront a religious spirit in the spirit of Jesus. And so this, this is a huge deal that we are priests, that our, our first place of ministry will always be the presence, that we will never grow past first love. You, we will never mature beyond the Father being the goal the Father being the ambition, the Father being our prize. We tend to fire. And, you know, <laughs> the, the big thing about fire is you are the fire. So every circumstance in your life right now is the altar that is inviting us to be the living sacrifice. So this is why our disappointments have eternal significance when I can learn to turn it in to a sacrifice. This is, this is why... Uh, doing things we don't want to do have eternal significance when I can turn it in to worship. This is why, uh, you know, knowing with absolute confidence what I'm called to do on the earth for such a time as this, that nobody else on the earth can give me that information. That you have direct access to the Father to say as confidently as Jesus, I am doing exactly what the Father has called me to do so that the world will know I love him. These are the works Jesus is looking for from first love. Works that our own performance cannot produce, that it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That means that, you know, when someone is gushing disrespect at you, the Father can flow through me. When, when someone is uh, treating me unjustly, the Father can flow through me. When I'm, you know, faced in front of an impossibility, the Father can flow through me. It's doing the things not on our own, not in our own strength, but in absolute dependence on the Father 
working through me, that place of absolute reliance on him. This, this is where the well of absolute reward bubbles up in our heart, where absolute satisfaction and fulfillment, when we're not doing things to get love, we're releasing what we release on the earth because we are loved, because we're so full of love, that we're no longer using our gifts, our talents, our titles, to get anything on the earth. We're using our gifts, our talents, and our titles to give to the earth. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of priests that day and night, night and day, I am the offering. You are the offering. So let's just go ahead and all stand up. Let's just put your hand on your heart. And I just, I just want us to make space in this moment to realize every part of who you are belongs to him, belongs to the God who is love. That every aspect of your story, every gifting, every calling, every prophetic word, every bit of your resource, this is the altar that incense arises from. It's all for you, Jesus. It's all for you. Our strengths, our weaknesses, it's all for you. Jesus, we are the living sacrifice this morning. It's our absolute joy to say we surrender all. We surrender all. It's our absolute honor to be priests that tend to the altar. It's all for you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.